I don't know if y'all have ever heard of those word games where someone will say a word like red or potato and you share the first thing that comes to mind. Like when I hear potato, the first thing in my head is mashed or I hear coffee and the first thing in my head is warm. Through your own life experiences, I'm sure we'd have tons of different answers to just those two words. For example, if you can't stand coffee, which can't relate, but um, the first word in your head might be gross, or maybe the first word in your head for potatoes is french fries, or farming if you grew up near some potato farmers. In a similar vein, when we hear the word church come up, there are hundreds of different answers um, and words that we would have come to mind for you and I and everyone in this room, depending on our experiences and perceptions of the church. For some of you here, church could evoke the word home or community or Jesus. The word church alone can bring up really positive and beautiful memories and experiences and perceptions and also may bring up some very negative experiences and connections. While you may have never stepped inside a church before, maybe you're here tonight because a friend of yours invited you here and they've had a really positive experience in the church. But you hear about stories in the news that make the church feel and sound really uneasy to you. For others of you here, maybe you had a great experience at your youth group or Christian camp growing up, and it was really important to you, and was the place where you felt most yourself, um, and you experienced a lot of goodness there. But you also have friends that are still processing extreme hurt and pain from a church context. And you feel this tension of loving the church and seeing this pain your friend has experienced. Maybe you are the friend that has experienced deep pain from the church. But most likely you've experienced both great joy and deep sadness in the context of the church. As John Tyson, a pastor in New York City, puts it so well, the scars on my soul come from the church, as does the joy that has come to define me. Leading in the church has been the source of both the trauma and the consolations in my life. So how do we make sense of this, right? If the church is so broken, why is it worth being in the church? Why associate ourselves with, to something that we could easily write off as outdated or toxic? Why can't we just follow Jesus and forgo the church body? I've had tons of friends, even former pastors, um, kind of share this sentiment and express that they've chosen to have a relationship with Jesus, but without the church. Their mentality is to take their individual relationship with Jesus and remove everyone else from it, to remove the church body, people that don't share the same theology, um, and to avoid people with ideas they disagree with. Their answer has been to keep the pieces of Christianity that they like, but to remove the parts that they don't want to be associated with, the people, essentially. So in this passage that we're looking at from Isaiah, we see the kind of love God has for his church. If we are going to love the church like God loves the church, and he wants us to, we need to start here seeing how he loves us, or seeing how he loves Looking at Isaiah 62, verses 1 through 5, we see that God loves his people in the church like a groom loves and delights in his bride. So before we jump in, let's pray God would meet us and help us understand his word together. Um, Lord, thank you so much for these friends you brought here tonight. Um, I just pray that you open the um, eyes of our heart to hear what you have to say, Lord, um, that we would be open-hearted and handed, um, and that you would just speak through me and um, reach these friends here tonight. In your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So in the movie 500 Days of Summer, which was like my favorite movie in high school, um, the main character, Tom, falls in love with his coworker Summer. As he starts pursuing her, he sees her as this perfect and flawless person. 
um, and he doesn't see any faults basically in himself in the process. There's a scene where he says, it's official, I'm in love with Summer. I love her smile, I love her hair, I love her knees, I love how she licks her lips before she talks. I love the heart-shaped birthmark on her neck. I love it when she sleeps. Later on in the movie though, we see Tom become disillusioned with Summer. After more fights and disagreements they have, he says, I hate Summer. I hate her crooked teeth. I hate her knobby knees. I hate the way she smacks her lips before she talks. I hate the cockroach-shaped birthmark on her neck. I hate how she makes me feel. After months of seeing Summer as this flawless person, um, an idealized version of who she is, Tom has a glass-shattering realization that she, in fact, does have flaws, that she isn't perfect. I'm sure a lot of us can relate to the way that Tom was seeing Summer at the beginning of their dating relationship. Everything is good. You only see the good in this person. It's like having rose-colored glasses on. They become almost blind to this person's shortcomings. This is also referred to quite often as the honeymoon phase, right? As we get to know the person more though, things begin to shift. You have a fight or two break out and you begin to see some of the blemishes, um, the crooked teeth as they were. The honeymoon is kind of over. You can also call this disillusionment. As in Summer and Tom's case, not so spoiler alert, um, the movie does start out though saying it's not a love story. Um, this is when a lot of relationships end. But real true lovers are able to push past the illusion and disillusion and learn to love their beloved as they really are, beautiful and broken and full of potential. God is not ignorant to our faults. He sees us, both our beauty and brokenness and our potential. In other words, where we can be redeemed. In our passage that Max read tonight, Isaiah 62 verses one through five, it's a classic example of Jesus meeting us where we are at and not leaving us there. Um, I would say you could follow along on your handout, but the printer broke. So if you have a way to read it on a device or a real actual Bible, you're welcome to. Um, but we see in verse 4 that he meets us forsaken, he meets us desolate, and he meets us in the darkness. He meets us when we feel abandoned, when we feel hopeless, and when we feel most broken. In the midst of our addictions, in the midst of our shame, in our pain, at the very bottom of rock bottoms. But we are never too far beyond the reach of God, never too far into a place he wouldn't go. He seeks us, and he doesn't leave us there. We see in verse 4 that God takes us from darkness, and he renews us to be delighted in. He weds himself to us. In verse 2, we see he pursues us until we are bright and shining, and in verse 3, that he crowns us in glory. This is different from just a beauty makeover, like one of those we see in The Princess Diaries where Mia's hair gets straightened. Um, God is reaching into our brokenness, brokenness and mending us together from the inside out. This is not unlike the dog that is abandoned with matty hair and is ugly and unloved, but someone chooses to commit to this dog and to love this dog and actually makes it beautiful through the love they, they have for the dog. God is committing to nourishing us and making us beautiful. He's committing to the messy work of entering into our messy lives and he uses the ugliest parts of us, parts of us we don't want anyone to see or know about, the parts we feel ashamed of, to make us more beautiful. He sees us where we truly are, and he crowns us in glory. In our passage, we also see God's love described in covenantal and marriage terms. We see this in verses 4 through 5. But you shall be called, my delighted is in her, and your land married. 
for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. While contracts are based on performance, covenants are based on promise. So while a CEO um, to a worker relationship is a contract, God's deep love and relationship to his people is built upon promise. You can think of this like wedding vows. Wedding vows aren't based on performance by saying, if you make sure you have a steady paycheck and you never get in the way of my free time and you make me happy and you never gain weight and you never change your hair, etc., then I will stay in this relationship. I'll be happy. I'll make dinner, you know, so on. The wedding vow really, in fact, is no matter who you are, what you do, what is going on in your life, this is who I'm going to be. This is what I'm going to do. The language of Isaiah 62 is full of promise. You shall be made new. You shall be crowned in glory. You shall be fully healed, fully righteous, and made beautiful. God is 100% committed to the church no matter what happens, no matter the depth of the brokenness. And God is absolutely 100% committed to you, too. Like a groom, we see God's love is covenantal, that he is committed, and we also see that God delights in his bride. There's so much language of delight in this passage. We see in verse 4, in being called God's delighted, and in verse 5, that God is rejoicing, that there is an overflow of abundance for his joy in the church. The church is the one community where people aren't being drawn together based on age, or the same interest, or being the same gender, or same socioeconomic status, or same ethnicity or background. In Ephesians 2, 18, Paul writes this of the church. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We've talked a lot this semester about how God and the church, or sorry, we've talked a lot about this semester how RUF and the church are a place of unlikely friendships, right? That we're not all here because we play soccer or lacrosse or because we're all getting straight A's, we're all in the same year. Um, we were, while we were all once strangers, we are now brothers and sisters in Christ, right? We're living in a house built upon the foundation of Christ. We have a foundation of self-denial and humility, where it's a beautiful place where personal agendas are set aside. Instead of a community that plays on our divisions and differences, um, the church has a foundation of peace and reconciliation. We see that in Ephesians as well, in Ephesians 2, verse 14. He himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The church is where we can actually experience true rights being made, true wrongs being made right, of true healing being made possible, of true peace because peace himself is dwelling with us. The church is a place where we can be honest when we are hurt by others and when we hurt them and experience God's grace and forgiveness through one another. The church is where we don't have to earn our love or value by doing something or performing well. The church is where we are loved solely on the basis of being in the same family, being in the same body. 
The church is a place where we can experience and see God's delight in us through one another, where we can serve one another and love one another simply for the goodness of God's glory. So as God loves the church like a bride, through her failings and not in spite of them, and is committed to see her through and make her beautiful and delights in her, we too are called to love the church like this, to learn to love the church like God loves the church. And this work begins in relationships. When we grow close to people in any relationship or friendship, the more we will inevitably see flaws, but we can't stop there. At this point in Sam and I's relationship, we're the closest we've ever been, and we see each other the most, we see each other as more beautiful than ever, but we also see each other's flaws more bright and big than ever. Um, shockingly, Sam didn't ask me to marry him because he learned in our seven years of friendship that I'm perfect or flaw-free or free from brokenness and vice versa. Instead, he knew more than ever that I am really broken. But Sam and I's desire to commit to one another isn't based on how beautiful we see each other now, but the potential we see in one another, in the same way that God sees through our brokenness and doesn't stop there. When we see one another's beauty and our brokenness and our stepping into a willingness to see each other through as we get closer and see more of each other's beauty and brokenness, we see more of God's goodness. We need to be close enough to the church to see its flaws and continue pursuing the church through its flaws through those flaws. God's promise and vows to love the church, for better or worse, is how he invites us to love the church. This means sticking around even after the honeymoon phase um, and when we're no longer blind to seeing the shortcomings of the church. And when we see the brokenness of the church in the places it doesn't reflect God's word and his goodness, to not cut off the church by writing it off as toxic, but instead commit to loving and working in the restoration of the church. John Tyson puts this really well. He says on, the work, on this work of making the church more beautiful, God will get the glory, but you and I can be part of the process. I'm not saying it will be easy, but doing your part to convert the church from compromise to conviction, to restore her saltiness and turn up her light, is a cause worth giving your life to. Leaving the church and its flaws isn't the answer. Said we are called to come alongside Christ and be a part of the work of making the church more beautiful. We aren't called to be a church of compromise, where we see the church's flaws and approach the church with a, well, boys will be boys kind of mentality. Said we're called to leave the church, to not leave the church in her dirt, but to get to be the hands and feet of Jesus, his partners in his work, and restore her to become more beautiful. In the same way, when Sam sees my flaws and the way I hurt him and others, his commitment to loving me means he needs to call me out on how I'm being hurtful, to call out my brokenness, and to call me into Christ's heart to repent, to reconcile, and to become more beautiful. So loving the church looks like making her more beautiful when we see her flaws, but also being committed to her, to not divorce her or divorce yourself from her. Like if you were to tell Sam, hey, you're awesome, I'd love to be friends, but like SJ, soon to be wife, she sucks. Like, no bueno. <laughs> Sam wouldn't really want to be your friend, right? Like, that makes sense because he's wedding himself to me. And Jesus probably feels the same way when we come to him and say, I love you, Jesus, but I hate your wife. They come as a package deal, right? Unlike Tom in 500 Days of Summer, we can commit ourselves to the church and see her flaws without becoming bitter and hateful. 
If you are willing to follow Jesus, then we need to learn to follow him with and through the church, too. I've had countless friends see the church as unnecessary in their walk with Jesus, cutting themselves off from the church with the intention of, I can still follow him just without the people, and almost all have since ceased following him. We just, can't play, we just simply can't divorce the two from each other. So just as God delights in the church, we are called to delight in the church, and this begins with being delighted in. Do you know how much God delights in you? Or do you think he is constantly annoyed and critical with you? If you think that's how God relates to you, that's probably how you relate to others too, as annoyed and critical. But when you discover just how much God loves you, how gracious he is towards you, how he loves hard-to-love you, that will empower you to love other hard-to-love people. He doesn't give up on us until we are fully redeemed, until our righteousness goes forth as bright. God is pursuing us until we are made whole and new, until we are fully redeemed. If you don't hear anything else tonight, I want you to hear that Jesus, your groom, comes into every part of your life where there is addiction, where there is pain, where there is shame, where there is outright denial of his existence, and says, you are mine, and I delight in you. You have always been the love of my life, and I am making you beautiful. When we experience this love from God, loving others flows out of us more easily out of our hearts. When we experience God's grace and goodness, when we see Jesus' love and how he redeems our brokenness, we are able to love others like this. The Bible begins with a wedding in Genesis 1 and 2 in the Garden of Eden, and the Bible ends with a wedding in the book of Revelation. Your Bible is essentially a love story. In Revelation 19, the Bible ends with the wedding supper of the Lamb. It's a picture of the church as a glorious, radiant, spotless bride. The greatest construction project of all time, us, has come to an end. It's over. Friends, a day is coming when the church will no longer be dirty and broken, no longer blemished, but perfectly adorned in beauty and righteous forever, when we are made beautiful. Through all of our mess-ups, through all of the times we push away from God, through all of our brokenness, God still looks at us and says, I'm going to throw you the biggest wedding. And this is the biggest wedding in the universe that it will ever see, and it will go on forever. When we live in the church and commit and devote ourselves to loving her, we get a foretaste of the wedding we are bound to before we even get there, we get to experience here on earth. Before we close, I wanted to share this video that demonstrates the kind of love that God has for his church. So I'll just throw that on real quick. 